Man, it is exciting to be in this place. Y'all know how to get hype. Man, I love that you guys are here on Wednesdays. I love that we get a chance to worship God together. Even with new songs, y'all are singing out. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, I hope you guys are excited for this series that we've been in. This is only week two, it's a new series. We got two more weeks for you guys. And this has been something very kind of different we've been doing, a different take and a different approach. We've been talking about the greatest of all time. If we're talking about some of the greats, we're going to get to the point we're going to, where we're going to talk about the ultimate, the GOAT himself. We're going to get to that. But in the meantime, we want to talk about some of the people in the Bible, in scriptures, who are also good or also greats. They're also well known, but they're not the greatest of all time. So before we start out, I want to tell you guys a little bit about my history. Do we have any like soccer players, soccer fans in the house? Listen, I'm going to say this about soccer. I, don't, I know we've got a lot of sports represented. I like, I like me some American football. I was at Lexington High School's game, basketball game last night. Was anyone there? Three of you? Okay. I grew up overseas in Italy, as you guys know, and one of the sports that we play there in Italy is soccer. Now, in Italy, it's like they're like raising children to play soccer. Like you either play soccer or you play soccer. And if you want to get like crazy and like try something new, you try Soccer, okay? Like, that's what, that's what they play over there. Now, now, to be fair, there's some other sports as well, but soccer is their main thing. Soccer is their bread and butter. Now, what's interesting is that kids in Italy start soccer at, like, a super, super young age. And I know that's changing here in the United States, but it was, like, crazy when I was growing up. And so when we moved there, I didn't play soccer from the beginning. So when I first started playing, I probably was, like, I don't know, like, 8, 9, or 10 years old, something like that. And I got to tell you this because when I started playing, I was not that good, you see, the Italian kids have been playing since they were, like, born. It was like, like they, they come out of the womb, and they get, like, they, they, they become, like, one, two years old, and they get, like, their baby food and a soccer ball. Like, I had a buddy, no, no lie, in school, he could wad up a ball of paper and juggle it, like, 50 times, like a little piece of paper. Like, he was, like, amazing. And I came and started playing soccer, and I was not very good. Now, in, in Italy, they classify soccer players in different categories, and if you're not very good, if you're just starting out, they call you the little chickens. And it's just a true story. They're called pulcini. It's a little, like a little, little, little chicken, okay? And so when you're starting out, that's the team that you play on the little chickens. And I was the oldest little chicken of the group because I was older to be on the other teams, but I wasn't very good, so they put me with the little chickens. I hated it, okay? And one of the things that I realized was that when, because I wasn't good, I would always try to play in defense because I thought to myself, if I play defense, people aren't going to see me play. You see, the way our field was set up, pretend this is one goal and that over there is another goal. Well, the way the field was set up, whenever we were on this side, on this goal, no parents could come around and watch because there was a wall. Now, on that side, there was the entrance of the field, so when we played on that side, all the parents would like crowd over there and watch. But when we played half on this side... Parents couldn't come see me because there was a wall. So if they were all the way over there and they wanted to see and watch, I was all the way on this side on defense. I was like, at least for half the game, no one's going to see my mistakes. No one's going to see me like slide over the ball. No one's going to see me be clumsy. No one's going to notice that I'm horrible. And then a buddy of mine came up to me and he said, dude, you need to start looking at some players who are better than you. And I was like, yeah, but I'm on defense. Nobody likes defense. And if you're in the room like defense, that's, that's between you and, and the Lord, okay? But he was like, nobody likes defense. And so I'm like thinking to myself, well, I do, but, but you're right. It's not cool. Like the cool players are, are the, the people in the front, the people that score, the people that, that are good. 
And so I started looking at all these different soccer players. I started combing through the, 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 the books. I started talking to my friends. And I found this guy. And his name is Franco Baresi. And he was an Italian soccer player back in the 80s and 90s who was a defender. And he was a beast. He was a goat. Now, I'll be honest, I looked online for like information about him, and no one lists him on any incredible lists except for in the list of Italian players. If you look at the greatest Italian players in the 20th century, his name is there. And he was a defender, and he scored so many goals. And because he was a defender and he was good, that inspired me. I got to look at his example. I got to look at him, and I was like, there's hope for me to become a good soccer player one day. So sure enough, I started to read about him, I started to watch his games, and I started to like playing in defense to the point where I became, my, like, my favorite role was to be a defender. That became my thing. And as I got older and kept practicing and kept playing, I started to become good at that position because I was looking at someone who had already done it, someone who encouraged me and inspired me, even without even knowing him, and gave me hope in this. Now, what's interesting is we can find these kind of things in a public figure or in a sports person or somebody else, but we can also find hope, encouragement, and we can look to the greats of Scripture. Spicy did an amazing job last week with Moses. Let's give him a round of applause, Spicy. That was incredible. Because Moses is one of the greats. I mean, he led the people of Israel out of slavery from Pharaoh. Pharaoh was like the highest divinity at that time. He was like the highest ruler. People thought he was a god. And Moses, through God's help, and we're going to find out exactly how God helped him, was able to lead them out of that. Next week, sneak peek, we're talking about David. David was, was one of the kings of Israel that God said, he is a king, he is a man after my own heart. And he was awesome, he was incredible, he was one of the greats. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're looking at one of the ladies who was one of the greats. We're talking about Queen Esther. Give a round of applause for Queen Esther. We, we got we to gotta show some love to the ladies, okay? She's one of the greats. She has an incredible story. The story of Esther is really this unique story. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. And the story of Esther is a remarkable story for a couple of reasons. It tells this incredible journey of faith, journey of boldness that Esther is able to go through. And she does something super, super important for the people of Israel. She accomplishes something that is truly remarkable, truly incredible, that without her doing, we would have some problems. Now, we're going to explain all this today, but I thought we would do something different and something creative. Are you guys down for something different and creative? I want to show you guys a video. There's this, there's this group online called The Bible Project, and if you've never heard of them, you need to go check them out. They put these videos together where they do a summary of books of the Bible. Now, the book of Esther is about 10 chapters, but essentially it's a story that starts from the beginning and goes all the way to the end. And as I was watching this in preparation for this, I kept thinking to myself, this is just, this is just really good. This is just like really quality. And so I decided that I wanted to show it to you guys tonight. Now, before we show this video, you need to know three things. Are you ready? Three things. Number one, it's a little bit longer than what we typically would show here. It's about seven and a half minutes long. Doesn't sound like a lot, but we're going to be watching the screen for a few minutes. Can you guys handle that? Okay. Number two, the guy in the video talks really quickly. And so you need to focus and you need to pay attention. Are you ready for that? Okay. Number three, the guy in the video has a really strange voice. And he says things that's going to sound like weird sometimes. 
but it's all really good stuff. Are you ready for that? Okay, now listen, we don't typically do this, but this summarizes the story so well. So what you have to do is you have to focus, put your phone away, close your stuff, put your candy down, don't talk to the person next to you. We're going to watch this video and we're going to talk about this story and why it's so important and why Esther is one of the greats. But in order to do this, we need to focus, we need to pay attention. Are you guys ready? Do you think you can handle it? Can we put all of our stuff away, all of our notebooks and all of our writing stuff away? All right, put it to your side. Close it. Focus on the screen. Don't talk. Don't go to the bathroom. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear about Esther. Okay. It's a lot of information, I know. But you can see if I had tried to explain that story, we would still be in chapter one, okay? The idea is this, though. You see, what's interesting about this story is that everything happens, everything goes around the fact that the people of Israel were going to be annihilated. Like, they were going to be wiped out. The reason that's important to know, the reason that's an important detail, is because in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God actually said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless your nation. Hashtag blessed. He's like, I'm going to take care of you guys. I'm going to do everything for you. I want, to, I, want, I want to bless you. I want to give you what you need. I want you to make you into a great nation. And you are going to bless other nations. And if nations curse you, they will be cursed. Because I want to take care of you. I want to take care of the Israelites. And here we have someone who is coming in the way to try and kill all of the Jewish people. He's trying to, to, to annihilate them. He gets so angry, Haman, that he wants to kill every single Jewish person. And he gets the king to sign off on this. Now, obviously, this king is not a good king because he's just doing whatever people tell him to do. And so he wants to kill all the Jewish people. And what's interesting, they said that the pivotal moment is in chapter 6. But what's incredible, what we're going to look at tonight is chapter 4 because we see and we're going to focus on Esther's dilemma. Now, Esther's dilemma is this. Well, I'll go ahead and read it. In chapter 4, um, starting here in verse 11... It says this. This is a conversation between her and Mordecai, who is her uncle. And he says, as they're talking back and forth, he goes, All the king's servants and all the king's people of the provinces know that if any man or any woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death. You see, Mordecai, the uncle, wants Esther to go and say, King, I'm your queen. Remember me? I'm the beautiful one who won the beauty pageant. I'm the one that, 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 that you paraded. Like I'm the one that, that you picked, that you chose. I'm the beautiful one. You remember me? I need to tell you something, and that is that I am Jewish, and that Haman has enacted this plan to kill all the Jewish race, and I need your help. The problem is that if she approached the king in the inner court without him calling her, he could put her to death. That was the law. That means like even though she was the queen, she didn't have the same amount of power. If she walked in and was like, yo, what's up, king? Like, literally, he could kill her. And if she tried to approach him in a way, he could put her to death. He didn't have to receive her. He didn't have to hear what she had to say. And so she's caught in the middle of this dilemma. She doesn't know what to do, and she's talking back and forth with her uncle, Mordecai. And verse 12 They explain everything to Mordecai. Verse 13, he sends a message back to her, and he says, Do not think of yourself that in the king's palace you will escape. He says, listen, just because you're living in the king's palace, you are still of Jewish descent. You're still an Israelite. You're not going to be safe. He says, realize that if you approach him, he might turn you away and you might die. And if you do nothing, you're surely going to die. 
and all the Jewish nation, all the Israelites will be wiped out. And this is where we see her response. Or, or he says to her one more time, he says, if you keep silent, the time of relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from one place or another, but you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have not come to the king for such a time as this. Mordecai is so convinced, because God had said that he was going to turn Israel into a great nation, he is so convinced that somehow God is going to save the people of Israel. And he says, Esther, you can do this. Esther, you can make this happen. You can have this conversation. It can, something will happen. God will take care of his people. But you have a choice to make. Do you want to do this or not? He says, maybe God has placed you in this place at this moment, at this time, for this very reason. He says, I don't know this for sure. But maybe this is why God has placed you here. And we have this beautiful thing in chapter 5. Right before that, Esther says, Go, gather all the Jewish people to be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink anything for three days, day and night. She says, she goes to the Jewish people. She says, go find everyone who is Jewish in this town and start praying for me. I need all of you guys to pray. Get on your hands and knees. Fast. Don't eat. Don't drink. For three days, pray for me before I approach the king. And in, in chapter 5, it says, On the third day, she put on her royal robes. She stood in the inner court in the king's palace, right where the king would come by. And while he was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne, opposite of the entrance, when the king saw Esther standing out there in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther in the, gold, the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached him and touched the tip of, her, of his scepter. You see, the king is sitting there. The only way that you could talk to him is if he calls you in. And Esther's smart. She's been praying for three days. She's had other Jewish people pray for three days. She's not interested in what happens to her life. She realizes the importance of the situation. And she says, in order to save the Jewish people, I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm willing to go forward. I'm willing even to die. And so she puts on her royal robe. She dresses up real pretty. She does her makeup. She does everything she needs to do. And she goes and she stands where she knows the king will eventually see her. And sure enough, he sees her. And he holds out his golden scepter, which means come forward. So she comes forward. She touches the scepter. And now she can have a conversation with him. Now she can talk with him. And that's where she enacts her plan. She says, let me invite you and Haman to a banquet. And she's so smart. She invites him to the banquet. And at the banquet, she feeds him. Guys, what do we like? Food, okay. She feeds them. She, she gets them happy. And she talks to them. And she says, listen, this is what I need. Come back tomorrow for another banquet. And so, so we just had a banquet. She said, no, come to another one. It's going to be even better. So they come back the second day for another banquet, even better. And that's where she reveals all that has happened. And she helps save the nation of Israel the way you saw it. This role reversal. They couldn't undo the decree, but they told the Jewish people to defend themselves. And ultimately, the Israelites are safe. But all this happens because of Esther's willingness to step out in faith, because of her willingness to make a bold decision, because of her ability to say, listen, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the king's going to say. I don't know what he's going to do to me. But for the sake of God, for the sake of his people, I'm going to take a step of faith. She is one of the greats because she's willing to do that, because she was willing to step out because she was willing to take a chance, because she was willing to move forward, even not knowing what the outcome would be. She had bold faith. So what does this mean for us? 
What does this mean for us as middle school students in 2019? What does the story of Esther teach us? How does this help us? How does this encourage us? How does this challenge us? What does it mean for us today, here, tonight? You see, each and every one of us have been placed in different situations. We spent a long time in our last series talking about reaching out to others, talking to them about Jesus, about sharing our faith with people. We talked about revival. We said we believe that something can happen. But oftentimes what Scripture requires us to do is to take a step of faith. Scripture often requires us to do something that might feel scary. Scripture asks us a lot of times to stand and, and, and be the only ones who have made a decision not to do a certain thing. You see, when we look around at culture, when we look at our friends in school, when we look at the people who we're hanging out with, when we look at everyone else, people are just doing their own thing. People are doing what makes them happy. People are doing what they think is best in the moment. People aren't thinking about eternal consequences. People aren't thinking about what God's word says. But if we're followers of Christ, if we're Christians, then we need to think about what his word says. And sometimes the decisions that God is going to ask of us, sometimes the things that we need to do, the decisions we need to make, it's going to feel a lot like stepping out in faith. Like telling someone, about what a relationship with Jesus means. About telling someone that we're not interested in cheating on a test because we love God. That we're not interested in talking about someone when they're not around because God says don't do that. Like deciding not to lie, but to be honest. To not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, the scripture says. If we decide to follow Christ, if we decide to make choices that honor him, it's not easy it's not simple. It's not always the popular thing to do. But if we're willing to step out in faith, bold faith, like Esther did, God sees that and God rewards that. You see, Esther is an example to us because she's willing to do something that might even put her very own life in danger. She's willing to do something that's going to be troublesome for her. She's willing to, to approach the king where she might even be killed because she believes that what she's been called to do was that great. She believes that what God is asking of her is that important. And I wonder, I just wonder, if we could start to grasp that, that what God is asking of us in this book, that what God is asking of us in our lives, is worth us taking seriously. It's worth us stepping out in faith to do. When it's hard, when it's difficult, when we don't want to, when it's uncomfortable, that we'd be willing, that we'd be interested, that we'd be obedient to step out in faith and make that decision. We find great encouragement by Esther. She's one of the greats. And we're going to see in just two weeks how the greatest of all time, Jesus, was so obedient, was willing to step out in faith and obedience to his heavenly Father and pay the sacrifice for us. But from Esther, from her story, we learn that we too need to be willing to step out in faith, to obey what God asks of us, even if it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it could cost us something. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. My prayer for us tonight is that we would allow God to challenge our hearts. 
that we would be willing to pause and to listen long enough to what God has to say to us. That we would be receptive to hear and say, God, what, what do you desire of me? What are you asking me to do? Where do you want me to step out in faith? That we as middle school students would be willing to say, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, maybe uncomfortable, unpopular decision can be, that we're willing to take it. That we're willing to take that step of faith. Even if it costs us something. Jesus, we glorify your name. We praise you. We're thankful that you're in our midst. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts tonight. Stir inside of us. Reveal yourself to us. That we may see God for his glory, for all that he requires of us. Lord Jesus, make us bold. Make us obedient. That we may step out in faith in what you're asking us to do. That we may accomplish great things by the power of your name. Jesus, we love you and we ask for these things in your name.